Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cammy Black. Joining me this evening, I've got John Anderson. Hello, John. Hello. And we've also got Al Kerr. First first appearance back since the, the big club dinner, Al. Yeah, the Six Nations are back, so that's, um, that's my cue to step in from the wings. We've wheeled you out. <laughs> Indeed. Um, you can uh, visit the blog, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk, uh, for coverage of the uh, well, the Six Nations Strangers it is um, that we're talking about this in October. Um, we've also got, so we've got some player reviews uh, from the weekend. We've got a report that Gav Harper's done on the women's game and also uh, a match report on the men's game against Georgia. Uh, we'll have lots coming up as well in the uh, for, to cover the, the rest of the matches on there. You can also sign up for our Patreon if you want to, to support the podcast uh, for £3 or £5 a month. If you pay £5 a month, we'll read your name out on the podcast. We've not had anybody uh, sign up for £5 a month this week. We've had a couple of new £3 subscribers, so um, thank you to them. We had someone sign up in dollars, but I think <laughs> when I did the exchange rate one, I had to work out whether he'd signed up for £3 or £5. <laughs> so he's somewhere in the middle. So I, I don't know where we are with the exchange rate as things stand at the minute, but apologize. if you are... It's good to say, good to know Donald uh, Trump's uh, sinking his uh, campaign funds into important sort of media channels. I was a bit worried. Yeah, <laughs> I did. <laughs> I was mildly worried that that would uh, that was what was happening. It was some sort of tax fiddle. I'll fund this. <laughs> you can, Donald Trump. You can pay above the five pound as well. So if he wants to siphon some funds our way for you know campaign <laughs> funds to, to hide them, we'll, we'll gladly look after them and have them resting in our account. Um, He'll be a Scottish rugby fan, though, right? He's half Scottish. Well, so. well, he is, isn't he? He's, he's, he's. Is it Butte or Mull? John, you'll know. Is it Butte? Uh, is, is it not? Is it? Yeah, not, it's, uh, not, it's not Butte. It's not, it's not Lewis. His mum was from. Very, very possibly. <clears throat> so, yeah, if you're listening, Donald, you know we're, we're open for sponsorship. <laughs> um, and speaking of sponsorship, um, we've got, um, we've, we've got, um, we've partnered. I heard you call partnered. But some guys have asked us to push some gin anyway. There's a, a group of guys who are crossing the Northwest Passage. So that's a 2,000-meter Arctic route between the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean. And they're, they're going to row it because apparently, because the ice is melting so so um, so quickly up there, you can now do that. So they're doing that to raise some awareness of the fact that the ice is melting. Um there's a Scottish guy involved who's got in touch with us. Um, and if you want to, they're selling some gin, Northwest Passage gin, which has water from Orkney, um, because apparently that's where the old uh, Northwest Passage boats used to go from. So there's a link on the pod- on the podcast page. And if you want to buy a bottle of gin, we get a kickback, we get a bit of money out of it. So if you want to buy some gin for someone for Christmas, then go to the blog, go to the podcast page and click on the link. Um, so we've also got some very exciting partnership news coming up. I won't say anything about it until it's absolutely confirmed, but we are very excited about... We I feel like we're the right fit for it, John. Oh, definitely, yes. This is... Like, if you were to go into a marketing company and say, right, I need people to market this product, our our podcast, uh, our group of hardy Scottish rugby fans would be the... I mean, the only choice. <laughs> Um, I should say we're also we're live as always on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitch, and Twitter. Um, Ian Hayes asking if we need a, a product review of the gin. <laughs> so I just um, want to know: Can you put ice in this gin, or would that be completely against the entire 
Um, <laughs> I, 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 I guess right? the, the, your freeze is contributing to the reason why the uh, Northwest Passage is passable. Yeah, it just feels like ice when you're lamenting the fact there is no ice. It seems counterintuitive. Yeah, uh, Martin, Martin Bell's asking if, if if we're being sponsored by a mail order razor. Oh, Martin, just you wish. <laughs> <laughs> just you wait and see what who we are partnering with. Um, <laughs> as i said we're live anyway this evening and if you want to find out how to watch us live in future you can go to the podcast page on the blog and you'll get all the details of our channels there if you're watching live this evening get involved in the comments if we like your comments um and we we think they're readable out if we can read them out we will do if they are printable this is a family orientated podcast and um, we'll start if we've got one from andrew loan um regular listener and watcher viewer as a watcher, viewer of the podcast. Right. He says, good yeah. win for the men's and a good effort by the women last weekend for a draw. Now, I'd start with the um, with the women's game. 13, I mean, we should start off, John, last week you, I and Rory said, <laughs> won't it be great if they keep to within 20 points of, of France and you yeah. just want to get the little wins on the pitch, you know, win the odd scrum, win the odd breakdown. <laughs> I mean, you know, we should start with an apology but looking back at you know looking back at form that that was an unexpected result yeah absolutely was and um again it just goes to show how thankless a task being a um a predictor of these these outcomes is in in, in sport isn't it but yeah i mean it was a, it was a great great result and obviously when we saw it come through you know we we had all kind of this was not one of those situations where I was more happy to be. Well, I was more than happy to be wrong, um, which it doesn't happen often. I, I really like being right, but in this instance, I was very, very happy to be wrong. It was a cracking result. Yeah, and I'll, I mean, it, it's interesting because I think we said last week France, the French players are all pro or semi-pro, and they'd all been playing mm-hmm. since September, which makes it all the more remarkable that I think a few members of the team are in the Premier 15s, but the rest are all you know players who haven't played since before lockdown. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a real shot in the arm for the game, for the women's game up here. And it's great to see, you know, it was on BBC Alba, I think. And, you know, I, I was listening. <clears throat> and like yourselves, I mean, I wouldn't have stuck, I certainly wouldn't have stuck my last fiver on Scotland getting anything from the Scotland's women getting anything out of that game uh, beforehand. And even at half time, I was listening, I happened to catch a wee bit on the radio. And, um, I can't remember who it was. It was on uh, Peter Wright, I think it was. It was saying, you know, it was 8-3 eight, eight, then, I think, at half time. And he was saying, well, you know, that's great. This good first half, but last 20 minutes they'll drop off and that I think has been the way for so many of these games they've been relatively tight I think the women have managed to keep into to a degree for you know the first 60 minutes and then that level of professionalism I think does tell right um but to see them actually you know score late on get that draw against you know a really strong French side that are gunning for the title I think it's a real shot in the arm for the game up here and the more exposure it gets breeds success you know success Begets success, so I think it's yeah, you know, it's, it's fantastic, and I think they deserve every credit that's coming their way. And the challenge now is to back that up, you know, in the, in the remaining games and, and kick on from here, you know, and and hopefully then take that into the Six Nations, you know, next year. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people, John, online, and it, you know, you see it with because they've been picking up results here and there over the last few years. Scotland, you know, they, they beat Ireland a couple of years ago. They've <clears throat> pushed a couple of teams close. There's more and more people taking notice, saying, you know, "What a great performance! What great players we have!" And so that that interest is picking up. And there've been good crowds at Scotston before lockdown, so it's it's growing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, certainly, it's getting. I think I think credit to the SRU as well. They're 
they're marketing it well. They're making sure that you know ticket. They're not they're not looking to profit from any success that the women's game's having. They're making sure that they're making it accessible. You know, you you get you get tickets through if you've got a season pass. You get tickets to the women's internationals as well. So they are making it possible for people to to go along. I think it's really good actually as well having. Obviously, having it at a place like Scottsdale, where just it is smaller, you can create a bit of atmosphere and make it a good day out for for people. So, um, yeah, credit to the SRU for that, and it, it's certainly getting more interest now, and you're seeing people talking about it a lot more on online. Yeah, I mean the game itself, John. You you caught this, did you? Yeah, I got, yeah. yeah I so I mean, the, the the defense. I'm particularly impressed with the defense, and actually, the as I said, you know, the, the fact they've dropped off maybe in the last twenty is the professionalism of the other sides comes through. But that didn't happen, and all the, yep. the line speed they really caused France a lot of problems and caught that. I mean, I think it was something like there'd been one Scottish error in the first half, I think, and about eight unfor- eight eight errors by by the French team, which just yep. goes to show the pressure they were putting them under. Yeah, I, th- I think. I think what struck me most about it was that um, they showed the benefit of doing the basics really, really well. And they've they done it with an intensity that they, they kept up throughout. And that that's a blueprint for for all teams. You know, we should every, every team should be looking at it and thinking, look, do the basics well, do them fast and put the opposition under pressure and you'll always have a shot at a result. It will always cause teams problems, um, whether they've got all the world, you know, World Cup winning stars, or they've got, you know, internationals who've got a hundred caps under the belt. It doesn't matter if you put them under pressure; they're going to make mistakes. And it was one of those games. Scotland, <laughs> Scotland, just they didn't make those mistakes as well, which is is really good. And you know, I just yeah, just really really impressed. I mean, and that decision at the end, Alvin, the, the I don't think we would have seen a men's team kick it out at thirteen all. So I mean that to to have a cool head at thirteen all and the clock go dead and say, do you know what we've done enough here? We've we, nobody would have expected us to get in get that result. This this is something to build on. Let's just kick it off, get off the park, and and celebrate this as an achievement rather than trying to push a result. And then pressing the gamble button, you know, which traditionally, and, you know, we all know we're Scottish, that, that, that the gamble <laughs> button is not our friend, right, folks? You know, we've been here before many times. So, yeah, I think it does show a, a really sort of level of self-awareness of where you are, where, where we are in the game, where we are. Um, and I think it goes back to the point, I think, John, that you're making, you know, a team that can be disciplined and accurate, and what it does can go an awful long way and it can cover an awful lot of sins in terms of, you know, maybe not having the the same level of skills and maybe not even having the fitness because actually part of that fitness drain is coming from a lack of accuracy. You're having to expend more effort. So the more accurate they get, the more precise they're getting, you actually are able to bridge some of that gap to the professional players because you are you're you're utilizing less energy throughout a game right so i think uh, you know i think there's a lot for them to build on i think there's a lot of really positive signs i think you know even in some of the other earlier games in the tournament they've maybe been i know they got a bit of a hounding off of england but if you look at where england are england they're probably you know 10 15 years ahead of the you know the women's game right and i think that has to be taken into account so the, the challenge is now is to push that on and i think what's really good is you know 
I know my old club side, Broughton, they've got a really strong women's side. So if you look, you know, down at the grassroots, there is some really good stuff going on in the women's game down there. Some really competitive sides floating around. Say, my old club, the men's side, Beth, says, when I were there, we weren't particularly great. We had our moments. <laughs> and ever since I left, you can draw your own conclusions from that. But the women's side was always strong. And, you know, I think they do an awful lot in terms of attracting new players into the game. And I think there's a real fact, you know, there's an opportunity for stars to come through that grassroots game in the women's space in the way that it just isn't there, you know, in the men's space. And I think yeah. there's, I think there's a lot to be harnessed. In yeah, I think there was, because, there, you know, you'd get, you know, I think you you can play as a as a girl, you can play up to a certain age group with the boys, and then it, and then it separates. And for a lot of clubs, yeah. they would have you know a strong female representation up to up to the age group where it splits. And then where do you go as a girl? You, you, you know, some up until a few years ago in Berwick, for example, you having to travel into the borders or down into Northumberland to try and find, a, you know, a, a youth a youth team that for for girls rugby. But now, as you say, Al, there are these there are teams coming together and the, the SRU have, have done a, a job in supporting that I guess and not just them but I suppose the clubs that there are people willing to give up the time to coach and, yeah. and to spend the time doing that which is a good sign I think in terms of I mean there, there was a lot of kind of intelligence used which the men don't always display John particularly I mean <laughs> you know even kind of the adaptability early on they were getting pinged for offside quite a lot but as the game wore on they weren't getting pinged for it so much so that that yep. ability to to adapt was really impressive as well because particularly where and you know we maybe talk about it with Georgia a little bit later on where you are a an emerging nation, which let's face it, Scotland are from the women's game. Women's game yeah. you, you will, you know, you just keep making the same mistakes because you're under pressure. But they adapted and they changed it so that they weren't getting pinged for it as the game wore on. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's that's another really encouraging sign. Um, being able to, you know, it's so easy. We've all played in teams where you're maybe you know, you're an underdog and you're taking a bit of a pasting, and you, as you rightly say, you make errors and you cop you 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 compound those errors by making errors on top of errors and being able to adjust and being able to have a cool head and say Do you know what right well, we're not getting this right just now but let's just change something and let's try something different and get it right i think there's almost an element of maybe in the men's game at the highest level there's almost a desire to coach that out of players and you know we famously saw that back uh, with Mr. Haskell and uh, the, the 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 Italy game with the is it a Ruxa? Um <laughs> Just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, showing 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 an awareness of what the referee's looking for. I mean, again, what we're talking about here is a fundamental. It's like a basic thing, but so many teams don't do it well. And to see a Scottish team doing it with ease almost was was really heartening yeah i mean essentially what we're saying here is the scotland women are more intelligent than scottish men but that i think yes you know <laughs> that was a given right <laughs> yeah i think so <laughs> yes yes Three so prime examples in this podcast um if you're listening to the audio podcast, you're going to hear um, from Brian Eason and Helen Nelson now about how the game went. We were going to try and get the clips ready for the video podcast, but we've I've, I've hit a technical snag. But if you listen to the audio version of the podcast, you can hear uh, from Brian Eason and Helen Nelson are out now. Defensively, I thought they were outstanding. I thought they were great in defence. The, the 
pressure they put France under was excellent. You know, France made a lot of mistakes, and you know there there will be you know points. You know, France didn't perform particularly well, but I think I don't think we allowed France to perform perform particularly well. I felt that we we filled the field defensively. We made some really good double shots in defence. We folded very hard, and we we got off the line. So that was really pleasing. I, I thought our kicks kicking was was better and our kick chase was better and and then obviously to score try you know against France against the third best team in the world by keeping the ball and and backing ourselves that it was really pleasing no i don't think it changes our kind of mindset at all obviously december and qualifying for that world cup is our out and out end goal um but for us i think it just shows that we can take huge points from like, like where we're going, we're we're totally on the right path, and um, we can compete with anyone. Like France are one of the best teams in the world, and we can compete with them. Um, so it doesn't change who we're playing. We can go out. We're always looking to win, and yeah, it's it's huge for us. Um, I mean, it's there's a real chance now, I think, for Scotland because they're going to Wales next, and Wales haven't had a great Six Nations. Probably from the the women's point of view, they're probably in the same place as Scotland. I think. Um, maybe have been better in the past, but um, there is an opportunity, I think, to go down to Wales and to, to you know not to finish bottom of the pile this time round. And they still got Italy to play as well. Let's not yeah. forget that, which was the you know the game that was called off. But th- there's an opportunity here, I think, for for a mid-table finish. Which you know, it, when we talk about mid-table finishes for Scottish national teams, that's that's a good finish. By any measure, Al. I mean, I, you know, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think that if they could, even if they squeeze another victory out of those two, you know, those two, then it's or not another victory, but they get a victory out of that to build on what they've done against France. I mean, let's not, you know, it's difficult to forget, but I mean, France are, you know, a big heavyweight when it comes to the women's game. You know, I mean, they are, they're not. You know, we've turned over Ireland before. You know, I think there's a chance here against Italy and Wales, but I mean, France are up there. They were looking at really, you know battling England for this and we've already said England are that far ahead so I do think there's an opportunity for them in the next two games it would be a fantastic achievement and what an amazing start to the new coaches is it Brian Eason did you yeah. say yeah. Um, you know what an amazing start he's come in obviously the previous coach had left because they were unwell so he's come in you know if he could come in with a draw against France and then you know a victory or even another draw to be honest out of that I think then that's a really solid foundation for them to start kicking on. And that that confidence you hope would then build going into, you know, and the, the Six Nations are coming around really quickly again. So there's you're not waiting months and months and months for the next round of fixtures. And there's a World Cup next year. Yeah, which so, which we've you know, got, which Scotland have to qualify. I think we've got Spain to play as part of the qualification. And I think I think the game against Italy counts as well off from, from memory. It's it's a mm-hmm. it's not yeah. a straightforward qualification process by any means but it you know it's it's achievable now all of a sudden and, and it hasn't been in the past john no i think that, i think that again that's absolutely fair and what a great achievement it would be um for them to reach reach the world cup and again you saw maybe the the benefit from football with the women's the women's World Cup recently and the 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 Scottish team playing at that and the the interest that got in the press and you know that that does feed through you know if, if people are covering these games then it feeds through to the grassroots and you've got someone all of a sudden saying Do you know what I'm going to go and play some rugby and right to bring it looped nicely back we've now got clubs popping up everywhere that 
these girls can go and pick up a ball and go, do you know what, I'm going to go down to my local club and I'm going to play a bit of rugby up to senior level now, uh, which is, you know, it's great. And um, I credit to everyone who's involved in getting that off, get, getting that off the ground properly and, you know, long may that continue. Yeah. Um, we'll move on then. The next one we've got, obviously, the uh, Scotland men against Georgia at the weekend. It's a bit... I mean, it was. I think it was always a foregone conclusion. I guess what what did we learn apart from the fact that we can maul weak teams repeatedly? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I love the fact that you say it was a foregone conclusion. It was a foregone conclusion. Well, there's, there's the progress. Point. There's there's the progress we've made as a as a, as a nation at rugby. Is now we we don't have to worry too much about Georgia. Too much about Georgia. Yeah, people are not necessarily saying we need to get relegated to let Georgia in. Right? I think we'll probably put that bet, that argument to bed for a couple of years at least. I mean, I'm sure it'll read its head again. Um, I mean, look, it was it was a very professional display. Uh, by and large. Um, eight tries, and that's the most tries we've scored against Georgia in any of the games, so that's not to be, you know, sniffed at. It was a nice mix of, you know, backs and forwards. I think there was a sharpness. I thought, I think actually started really well. They, they looked like they were trying to, um, I thought they came out the blocks really quickly, which is good to see, because not, we're not traditionally the quickest starters in games. Um, is it a surprise that then after about 10, 15 minutes, it tailed off and the rest of the first half was a bit of a, a slog? Probably not. The guys have not played with each other for six, seven months. So I think there was a bit of bedding in. Um, you know, I think the guys, manfully, biggest uptick for me was is, is Finn coming back though. Because as soon as he came onto that park, you you see what that brings, what he brings to the you know, the pace of the game, the incisiveness of the game. I, I think there was a lot to be excited of when you actually saw him coming in because it was like a 90% done jigsaw and then the last bit just slotted in and, and everything flowed. Somebody put oil in the engine. <laughs> running a lot smoother. There's a tiger, a tiger, in the, in a tiger who totally. came to tea in the tank. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. It's it's interesting. I mean, Adam Hastings has taken a bit of a a paste in this week on 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 the kind of forums and and social media, John. Yep. And he's not. I think you've said he's not had the best of starts to the season. There, there was an element of that, and definitely, you know, he didn't bring his kicking boots, did he, to Murrayfield? But <laughs> I wonder how much of this is. And we've talked about this in the past, particularly with scrum halves, where we've said why it's all. Always the scrum half that comes on and plays the last twenty that we want to start because we go well they're they're coming on they play much quicker, yeah. But there is an element to that that well that's the game plan in the last twenty because the game's breaking up so you want to increase the tempo. I'm not saying that Adam Hastings didn't have you know had an amazing game by any stretch, but I, I you know and Finn Russell is Finn Russell and he's 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 a level if not five ten fifteen levels above. <laughs> But I think there is an element of he was he, Hastings was playing a different game plan to the game plan that Finn Russell was then sent on to play. So do you, are we kind of is he being judged harshly? Um, I, I take that point. I take that point that he does. Uh, there there would have been a different game plan in the first half. I think the issue you have is that he didn't necessarily execute that game plan as well as he could have. Um, there was. A few moments where, so obviously I've watched a lot of Adam Hastings over the last few years, and I, I think I think he's a fantastic player, particularly at club level. I think for Glasgow, he does a great job. His running game in particular is very exciting, but I think at international level, he's still relying on that running game to 
maybe try and get himself out of trouble. And international defences don't give you that time to maybe find a weak shoulder and sneak through. And he he puts himself in trouble more often than he should at international level. And there's maybe an element of just, you know, he's got quite a few caps now, but there, there's an element of bedding in still that's happening. But I think we really need to caveat this with, he's, he's 24, right? Um, and I think lots of people have said online, look at Johnny Sexton at 24. They got, you know, heir apparent to the, you know, the greatest player in Irish history. He certainly was not at 24. He was utter mince at 24. Adam Hastings is quite far along in his development. The fact that he's kind of surpassed, let's, let's be honest, right? He's a better player than Duncan Weir. He's, he's a better option at 10 than a lot of people that have come before him. Um, he's still settling into that role at international level. If stuff hadn't happened in the Six Nations previously, he wouldn't have started that Six Nations. Finn would have started the Six Nations and Hastings would have been doing 20 minutes, 10 minutes off the bench, 20 minutes off the bench, building his international exposure. Is he ready to start games at international level? Probably not, but that's where we find ourselves. He is the second best 10 we have at the moment. Yeah, and I suppose it's, it must be hard because you you going on the pitch against a team like Georgia and you've come off the back of starting against Russia where you've run in, you know, did you run in, did he, he didn't get a hat-trick, did he get a couple of tries that day two against tries, Russia? Yeah, two tries in the tries, World yeah. Cup. And, you know, you, you, they, were, they were cutting Russia to, to, to bits. So there must have been an element of going on the pitch and kind of expecting that that might happen again against an opposition like Georgia. And Possibly. you maybe, maybe needed a cooler head and a bit more maturity. Possibly. Possibly, but I'd like to think that mm, he should understand that Georgia are a far tougher uh, you know, prospect than Russia, right? There are about two levels between those two sides. I mean, for all of Russia, uh, Georgia's frailties, they're still a pretty robust unit and they've got enough experience at international level, which Russia don't have. Um, I mean, I think the challenge... <laughs> I mean, I, I would probably be one of those people who are critical of Hastings. And I've, I've never been a big Hastings fan, and I'll, you know, I'll be completely honest about that. However, I actually thought he was having a really good Six Nations. So I kind of I remember having the conversation with others, you know, earlier this year um, and saying, you know, he, he looked like he'd actually come on a level. And actually his decision making was better. Um, his decisions of when to kick, his kick execution was better, you know, from hand, his um, his choice of when to attack and the lines he was attacking were, were far better. And I actually thought he 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 guided Scotland really well. You think back to the France game, for example, and he helped make sure that we 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 utilised the extra man in that game. So I thought he'd come on. And I so partly I'm disappointed because it felt like a real regression in that Georgia game because his decision-making, there's no doubting he's got the talents. And he will be, to your point, John, I think he will be a very, very good player yeah. at an international level in due course. But I'd hope to see him that that level of performance. Now, look, everyone was rusty. So that has to be taken into account. People have not played for months. I know the back at club game, etc. But it would have been really nice. Uh, I think he's still got a wee bit of way to go. But, yeah. you know, he will get the opportunities, but he, he may be playing second fiddle for a while, I, su- I would suggest. I suppose, in 10. I suppose to a certain extent as well, during the Six Nations, he had his, you know, he had his Glasgow 9 and his Glasgow 12 outside of him, either yep. side of him for those games. Mm-hmm. And, and he's been thrown on with James Lang at 12, who, you know, had a very solid game. I don't think he, you know, I, I didn't think... Oh, here's a new here's a new twelve starting twelve or anything, but I thought here's <laughs> yeah. a, here's a reasonable option that you could use, and he's, he's young as well. But I, I wonder how much you know F- Finn Russell is probably more adaptable, John, 
and be able to come on and, and play with whoever's outside of him because of the way he plays. Yeah. I mean, it's, no, the question is whether or not those people either side of him can play with Finn Russell rather than whether he can play with them. <laughs> I, th- I think there's an element of that. I mean, the flexibility is one thing. I think we've, we talked previously about Finn Russell having uh, Laidlaw to kind of coach him through games as well and, and his kind of early, even middling international career. Um, and I do think Hastings, yeah, with Lang outside him, there's almost a pressure on Hastings to kind of, he's the more experienced campaigner, so there's almost like he's needing to coach the, the guy outside him as well. Um, I didn't think Ali Price necessarily gave Hastings much to work with either, which, um, you know, yeah. it does, it just makes it a bit harder. But um, yeah, I think it was, it was very noticeable, like, you said about Finn Russell coming on the park and, and kind of, you know, it being the biggest biggest point of the game, really. And it was noticeable. Everyone just seemed to relax. Even Adam Hastings, who had, mm-hmm. to that point mm-hmm. looked quite tense and quite quite upset about things almost. He just, like, there was, it cut to them. I think there was a stoppage when Finn came on and they were cracking a joke and laughing and just obviously having a giggle about something and everybody just seemed to chill just relax so it's, ah, it's fin time okay we'll just <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's, uh, i mean it was most chilled cats at the rave i've seen in a while yeah <laughs> yeah i mean the, the other um one we've got um got a, again if you if you listen on the audio podcast you'll get an, a, a wee clip of a an, an interview with darcy graham now where he's talking about playing with with duhan van der merwer oh it's always no, it's unreal um I know what Duan can do. Um, he's done it for two years, bred where he's been outstanding. Kind of me, Blair, and Duan kind of complement each other really well. So um, it was really exciting to, for that full Edinburgh back three. Uh, I think that's the first time we've all scored as well on a pitch um, in the same game. So it's quite nice for us all. Is it? Is it help you? Obviously, when you when you know you know the guys next to you so well as well. Oh, definitely. Kind of. <laughs> I kind of know what Blair's going to do before he kind of knows it. So um, I always give him that room just to kind of work off. So uh, it does definitely help knowing what they're going to do kind of before. It, make, it does make a huge difference. Do have um, kind of this, these last two weeks, um, he's kind of just, he's fitted right in. There's been no, um, he's not looked up a place in that, which is um, excellent. It's kind of, it's an environment we've all built kind of in Scotland, the Scotland camp. It's um, a great environment. Um, these boys can just slip in. Um, easily transitioned, which is, is great, and um, it kind of showed. It showed on Friday. He, he, he didn't look nervous at all, and yeah, he, he took everything in stride really well, which which is great for him. Kind of, I'm, I'm loving a wee jackal just now. Kind of, they're just happening. They're just kind of the work the my centre partners are doing. Um, kind of, the boys are just uh, they're defending really well, and the boys are just falling on my feet. So I'm just kind of getting on ball. So. Um, no, I'm really enjoying the, that kind of battle. Yeah, he went well, I thought, Duhan. Al, I was quite. He, he's, mm-hmm. he's talked about being nervous afterwards, and he said himself, you know, that he he felt he struggled because of how you know, obviously, the Georgians stuck about four guys on him. <laughs> but despite that, you know, to to have four guys stuck on you, he I thought he still did well to kind of stay in touch yeah. and to recycle the ball. So that's impressive because I mean, Wales are going to mark him. Probably not to that extent. They're not mm-hmm. going to be able to, to mark him to that extent. But I thought he did pretty well, given you know the, how how tough the Georgians can be physically. 
yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I struggle to see him not being in that shirt going forward, right? So I, I think he did enough. He, um, I think Rory said in his uh, actually his player ratings, you know, they were they were they were quadruple teaming him, you know, the Georgians at some points, you know, to to be able to stop him. I think what really worked for him was a couple of things. He, one, he got his hands on the ball early, right? He never really got a chance to get up a real head of steam. But, and every time he was getting the ball, he was tight up to the wing. But he was always coming back and he was always yeah. pulling defenders into himself. So he was, he was, he was, you know, sucking in two or three Georgian sort of defenders at any one time, which invariably creates space and pressure elsewhere on the park. Um, and then what I thought was really pleasing, because the game wasn't necessarily coming to him, he went looking for work. He went looking to get busy. He was joining the back of some of those rolling malls. He was, you know, he was really throwing himself in. And if you think about it, where did he score his try? He was a long way in off his wing, mm-hmm. taking that ball off the fin, right? So, you know, he may not have felt super confident, but it didn't look like that to to you know to the observer watching from from afar as we all were unfortunately. Um, so yeah, I think he's got a lot. I think he, and I think he'll only get better. And yeah. God help the team that that you know give him five yards of you know a start to actually get ahead of steam up because boy, I think he? and I think at international level he will still be as destructive as he is at, at club side just because of his size and his pace. And he's he's a wee bit like the direct comparison would be when Visser came in. You know, Visser came in, he had a similar sort of, you know, scoring record. Um, if I think Visser scored two tries against New Zealand on his beat, you know, so I mean, it was like, crikey, he was a good player, but Visser's problem was always defensively. And I know that uh, Van der Merwe's, there's some questions around that, but I don't think he's the same liability. I don't think he is the turning circle of a sort of a tanker in the way that Visser <laughs> tended to have. So, you know, I, I think he's a little bit more robust than Visser is and there's a lot to be excited about I think he's probably more coachable and that's not to damn Tim Visser in any way but he he's you know you hear what Richard Cockrell's had to say about him that he's Mm -hmm. he has developed his game since he's come to Ember and he's talked about how Duhan van der Merwe said how grateful he is for the the work Ember have put in on him as well but he seems coachable that he's open to learning which Mm -hmm. is which is a positive because players aren't always open to that and just think I'm going to turn up and do my thing and you know I think one of the reasons Visser kind of you know Visser retired didn't he when he was when Townsend asked said I'm going to take you to the US but I, I see you more as a fullback and Visser grew up. I think I think pretty much at that point it was it was no that's it thank you very much goodbye so I think I think you're right I think that the, there's a comparison there but I think the potentially longer term that they they could turn out to be very different players for Scotland yeah the other one, I mean, just at the back three, the other one is Blair Kinghorn, because I thought Kinghorn had an all right game. If, you, if you're not comparing him to Hogg and you see him as a different player, he had an all right game. He probably one of his better games from fullback. I, you know, there were a couple of times when he could have passed and didn't. But I thought, thought he did okay, John. I'm not saying he, you know, he didn't yeah. set the Heather alight, but yeah. he wasn't as terrible as some people have suggested he was. Yeah, I mean, if you, right, if I'll, I'll try and put this as nicely as possible. <laughs> if, if, if you played the game on a piece of paper, Blair Kinghorn would be in your team every single day of the week because he does all the stats really well from fullback. He does all the right things, except when he doesn't do the right things. And it happens every game without fail. And he didn't have a bad game, but the world he try that he scores at the end 
doesn't make up for the three or four that were left out there because he chose mm. to go himself when he had men outside. Now, that's fine. You know what? See, if you're a six foot five fullback with pace like a raging horse, back yourself. Go and run through your man and go and score the try. And nobody will say a word about it. Everybody will be like, Blair Kinghorn is the best thing since sliced bread. But see, if you don't score, that's when there's issues and we're not scoring. Kinghorn's not scoring. He's not beating the man and we're leaving points out there because of it. And it's the same at club level. He's doing the same things. So I take I take all the points that he's, uh, you know, statistically a very good fullback, beats men, covers metres, etc., etc. And I, I'm not comparing him to Hulk. Hogg's a very different player. But if you just cut out that almost selfish streak mm-hmm. and just played the man in, just make the pass, take the assist. Brilliant. But he can't pass. John, that's his problem. <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, he can't yeah. pass a rugby ball, right? So he has all the physical stats. But you only have to go and look back at the, the Ireland game two or three years ago where he single-handedly butchered two or three chances yeah. by yeah. his inability to make a five-yard pass. It's it's He's a very, very good club player, yeah. in my opinion, but I'm really unconvinced at international level. However... As a, again, a wee bit maybe like the Hastings situation. I mean, he's still, I actually don't know how long, how old he is. 23, he's got he's not, he's not old. So he's got, you know, he's, he's got time to learn. Yep. He's always going to play second fiddle to the person who's in his position at a national level, in, you know, for the next four or five years at least. Yep. So he's got time to grow into the role. Um, but I don't know. I, I think there's quite a lot of development he needs to do. You know, I think he, he can play the wing as well, right? And he has had some pretty decent games. Do you think about he got a hat-trick against Italy last year? Yeah. You know, and I think that was off the wing. Um, so he, he does have something to bring, but his his distribution is a really big issue. And I would love to see Edinburgh and, and Cockrell really work on that distribution because otherwise, if he can't get that right, your problem is he, everyone will know he's only ever running into contact because he really, can't do anything else. It's really concerning, though, because didn't he used to play 10? And wasn't I believe he an so. He is an option. He played ten against. Um, he didn't. He end up playing ten against the USA with that game that we lost with his final kick of the game. That is peak Scotland. So I think he is it? viewed as an option at ten. I don't think it's that Edinburgh have ever played him there. Make a five-yard pass. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's like Scotland. He, that's that's two thousand Scotland. Yeah, right? he's, he's in the wrong era. <laughs> Yeah, but he was like plumbing J- Jim Baxter for his try, you know, with the keepy up he just before yeah. getting in. It was oh, like, you know, beautiful. Wembley 67. Um, fair play. Unfortunately, it's the wrong sport. Was... Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, well, I will, we will talk about the forwards in a, in a moment. Not that there's not really much to pick out there, but I just wanted to very quickly talk about the centres because there's been a bit of chat about Hugh Jones today. And, we've had a comment from Limbo191 on, on, on Twitch. It's not finally it's our first. Gosh real Twitch comment. I think it's the second real Twitch comment that, that wasn't a sex bot. So this is exciting. <laughs> so thank you very much, Limbo, for joining us on Twitch. He says, Hugh Jones is hard done by not to get picked for Georgia. He looks better than he has done for a while. Now, there was a bit of debate on Twitter today when the Thistle podcast posted a thing saying, "What you know, what? why haven't we looked at Hugh Jones at 12? And I think, and, and they made a reasonable point that, you know, that Wales game that everybody talks about where we got absolutely hauked and it was, you know, Jones at 12 and Harris at 13. He made 11 of his 11 tackles that day. 
So defensively, he was fine. I think the problem is that he had a massive drop in form after that. Yep. Probably partly because of that game and how badly it went. There was also then the Dave Rennie regime at Glasgow, which didn't do a lot of players any favours, and I think Hugh Jones is one of them. So I don't necessarily think it was that game that, that put him off. I think he said himself he doesn't see himself as a 12. I, I don't really understand what the difference between a 12 or a 13 is necessarily other than where you stand or that you might end up passing the ball a bit more at 12 than you would uh, do at 13. I think defensively it's more exposed at 12 yeah. in my view. Yeah. And I think from game plan perspective for Scotland, again, you, you, you we still rely on our 12 to carry quite heavily into heavy traffic, whereas your 13 gets space on the outside, man. Whereas, so Hugh Jones is, he's a big lump of lads, but he's not, he's not a crash ball and a week of, a week of Sundays, really. Um, you know, you want him kind of outside on, again, on that weak shoulder, starting to cut those lines and in, in, in the kind of inside the 12, 13 channel, maybe in 13, 14 channel. Um, but yeah, you don't, you don't want him. He's kind of wasted as a strike runner, just washing it up and getting smashed by back rows all day. Yeah, I mean, is there, I mean, is there an option? I suppose in the when we you know we get past the Wales, he's not going to come in for the Wales game. Let's face no. it. But no. during these autumn, this autumn series, that he comes into the bench as an option at fifteen and thirteen, just to see just to see how he goes. I suppose because if he's he's added that versatility to his to his game, all of a sudden he's an option from the bench. Whereas before he wasn't because he was only a he was only an option at 13 and you can't you know you need that versatility off the bench and I suppose we're talking about Blair Kinghorn and his maybe you know deficiencies is that an option in, in during the autumn series maybe against a, a, an Italy Al? Mm-hmm. I think well, I was going to say I think you need to pick and choose where you put him in maybe Italy um, would be where you would want to see how that runs if you're prepared to take the risk um, it would be good to have another option at 15 because you see you know um Kinghorns, as we've discussed, is a develop. You know, is, is a bit of development still needed to be done. Um, like you, though, I do worry about center. To be honest with you, so I think Harris is baked in at thirteen now, mm. right? You know, I think Townsend likes him, and you can. I've always been a Harris critic, but you can see what he brings to the side. But he's not particularly flashy and sexy going forward. But then Scotland don't really use their their centers as as you know, as breakaway runners from an offensive perspective. They use them as much as decoys to unleash the back three rather than, you know, to try and pull men in. Um, 12, though, I mean, and I think Sam Johnson, he's still, well, he's injured, right? So I don't know oh, where that leads. Is he back? Is he back? Is he back? Right, okay. Back so, weekend, yeah. you know, um, I would like, personally, I would have liked to have seen Hugh Jones. It's a disappointment he doesn't see himself fitting into a 12 because I think he could. I, I, I maybe just slightly disagree, John. I do think he could do a job in there. Um is it his natural position? Possibly not, but we are pretty bereft for options. You know, James Lang, nothing against him. I don't think he did anything particularly wrong, but I don't think he did very much. He was, <laughs> he was, you know, he was tapioca where we needed a Cornetto, you know, it, 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 <laughs> you know, against Georgia. There wasn't an awful lot. It was pretty bland, right? I mean, I think we wanted a little bit more free on and excitement. Yeah, I tell you a lot about me, but I think a Cornetto is I really like a Cornetto right now. I'm <laughs> now buzzing. I was saying it to somebody the other day. They were asking me to describe this podcast uh, for for a thing they were doing in work, and I was like, "There's some rugby chat. There's a lot of random chat about snacks. We, we talk a lot about <laughs> snacks." Yeah. So no, I wasn't for a Cornetto. I mean, in terms of the forwards, it, it, you know, it was. 
it was a good all round performance. I don't think anybody necessarily stood out. Other, I mean, there's a. I said in the group chat, and I saw um, was it Ross McDonald on on Facebook had posted something saying, you know, is is Scott Cummings actually our best lock now? Mm. You know, we forget. I know Johnny Gray's on his, you know, on on good form at Exeter, but yep. some of the stuff Scott Cummings did is stuff that Johnny Gray doesn't do, like holding, you know, holding up players in the tackle, carries well. He link his link plays good. I mean, he potentially is a bolter for the Lions if 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 he can mm-hmm. string a few games together. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair, and um, I think Cummings has been probably one of Glasgow's foreign players for three seasons now, and he's he, he has kind of flown under the radar a wee bit because he he's again. I, I mean, it's the theme of this this episode. He, he does the basics well, and mm-hmm. he's not flashy. Um, it, you know, he gets through a power of work. He does all the, the defensive duties really well. He's great. He calls line outs. He, he, he does a little bit of everything. Um, he seems to have added, you know, his, his carrying game is really destructive now and seems to have added... I mean, he's no Ben Tullis, let's be honest. <laughs> With the, the, Who is, the, John? The, Who is? The rampaging uh, uh, giraffe that was Tullis. The absolute fear in his eyes. <laughs> Desperately looking for support, um, but Cummings is—he's he's running lines that you wouldn't necessarily expect your second rows to be running, and he—he's do, doing it at a hell of a pace, which is good to see. Um, but he's a lovely big guy. He's a lovely big loon. <laughs> nice to know, man. You've got a man crush there, going, John. I think just—just <laughs> just a lovely What's big not boy. To love? Exactly. He's—he's he's got those wee those wee cheeks. You just. <laughs> a lovely big boy. Um, look, I, I think it's. I, th- I think. Sorry, Cam. No, I you go on. I, mean, I, I think that uh, you know, a lot is a real conundrum going forward to next week, right? Because I thought Toulis had an absolute stormer. I thought Toulis was, was really, good. I thought Toulis was good. And but Toulis does this. You know, Toulis then has these games where he looks really, really good. He was. He was really secure at line out. I thought he was really good in the loose. I think Toulouse offers a lot, and I think I, I think going into the Wales game, he will probably drop out to let Gray come in. But it's a bit harsh, actually. I think Toulouse, he, yeah, he's always struggling because he's, he's really a toss-up between Gray and Toulouse. And uh, very often, he seems to find himself on the wrong side of that decision. But I do think he I think he showed up really well against Georgia, and I, I, I think he offers a lot to Scotland shirt as well. Good balance for some of the other locks. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a good starting place to look at who comes in for Wales because you've got I suppose you you've got Sam Skinner back as well mm-hmm. who can cover at lock and at back row. So presumably it's you would go Toulouse out, Gray in next to Cummings, and then you've got Skinner on the bench for Harley mm-hmm. as the natural lock cover. I mean the 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 the, the two eights off the bench kind of experiment of Dupree and <laughs> um of and, and Haining, you know it's fine against Georgia, but you you're going to want something different. Do you think they bring somebody different? Any, would you make a change to the bench, maybe, John? I mean, that's, your back rows yeah. maybe nailed on if Fagerson's fit. Uh, yeah, I mean, if Fagerson's fit, I think you probably the front row stays the same, the the back row probably probably stays the same, and then ah, uh, if you bring Skinner in, I wouldn't necessarily see a place for. Maybe Dupree or Haining. Um, would you would you think about bringing in Blade Thompson? 
into the bench, partly because of his knowledge of the Welsh. Welsh he played Welsh. there now. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. No, he will know a lot of those opposing players. Just a thought. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, that's as it's small margins at this level, isn't it? So he, any sort of insight you can get, and I think obviously having him around the camp will be be useful mm-hmm. in the first instance. But yeah, there is there's there's an argument for that. Um, in uh, in terms of other back rows, I don't know. It's it's a strange one because you know what 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 other options do we have? You know, against Wales, you would probably be looking to rely on our our kind of natural, probably our open sides. Uh, you know, to to kind of cause damage throughout the piece. But I'm not. I'm kind of struggling to see who comes in. I think we should drop Dupree, but I don't know for for who. But it's just. I don't know. That's maybe a a bit of prejudice there against them. <laughs> <laughs> um, any changes for you in the backs then? I mean, you, Johnson's fit again. He played one. He had an okay game, I think, against Ospreys despite Glasgow yeah. not doing particularly well. I mean, uh, one of the better, <laughs> one of the better <laughs> Glasgow players. I mean, I think that's the real chance. I mean, look, Hogg will come in, Russell will come in. I'm pretty certain Russell will come in. Um, so then it does fall. I think if an else will stay the same, I think 12, though, where's your toss-off at, right? I, I struggle to see. He might go along again um, because they looked they looked reasonably solid, but as I say, very unflashy. Johnson would be your first pick if he's fit enough, right? Because he likes Johnson. And again, Johnson offers a bit more going forward is solid defensively and, and he works well with Harris. I think actually that Harris Johnson um piece uh you know looks reasonable. But um I think that's the challenge. But I, I think Hogg and Russell obviously come back in. This is a kind of must win game for Scotland. This is a, a massive opportunity. So you, and Wales are there for the taking, in yeah. my opinion. Any changes any other changes for you, John? I mean Hogg obviously Hogg comes in for for King Horn. I mean, I don't think King Horn necessarily drops straight to the bench. <laughs> necessarily drops straight straight to the bench, though. No, I don't think he necessarily does. I think you know. I think we said early doors that we didn't necessarily see that. Um, you know, um, Hugh Jones comes comes in to reckoning for this this game. Um, but if you're talking about twenty three, you know, you, you you could potentially find a space for him. You know, maybe, maybe not, but um, I think, yeah, I mean, Hogg will come in, Russell will come in. There's an argument for scrum half change. It's not going to happen, but, you know, there's there's maybe an argument that Price, Price will start, but, you know, would Horn be a better option, potentially? Um, but, yeah, I think probably Johnson will come in at 12 as well, and Harris for all. Yeah, for all of our, it shows how much uh, opinion to Tony puts by what we say because um, <laughs> um, he, he clearly just doesn't give a hoot what we say, um, which is fine. You know that's why he gets the big bucks. And but and Harris he, hasn't done an awful lot wrong in an international no, he, no, he has in the last he, year. No, you look back he, even before the World Cup. He's actually one of our better performers at the World Cup. He was, and he is. He's growing on me. And you know what? I see the place for him in this pragmatic Scotland. Part of me still longs to see a galloping Hugh Jones with his beautiful blonde hair bursting <laughs> through Englishmen. But this pragmatic Scotland's probably not going to do that. And, you know, fair fair enough. I think it was interesting that the, there was the interview with uh, Finn Russell um, after the piece um, on Friday. 
and he was saying he was talking obviously about Duhan uh, van der Merwer, and he was saying he'd said to him, "Look, just that work rate. Get on my inside. See if you see if you're on my inside. I will put you in all day, mate." And he's basically just said, "Look." <laughs> give me an option this side of me that side of me and that's maybe where if we can get more from Harris because he yeah. is a big lad and he can well he, can he got that try didn't he yeah and he got his try yeah. from running off that angle and it's yeah and against that, and that if you've got those that comeback against England that draw at Twickenham last year Harris had a big role in that some of the dummy runners mm-hmm. he was putting in off off in Russell he he seems to enjoy playing off in Russell and I don't know like you said John it's that, that pragmatism that Scotland have developed since the World Cup which isn't necessarily a bad thing let's no, face it Joe, no, we, we, we talk about Cats at a Raven as fun as that is and as fun as it was to see you know on Friday night we we want you know I'd, I'd much rather Scotland won games than yeah you know, I don't want to be Kevin Keegan's Newcastle entertainers you know <laughs> <laughs> Losing game, losing thrilling three two matches all the time. So, I'd much rather, you know, eke so out a nine three win. What you're saying is the podcast title tonight is I would love it if we beat them. I would love <laughs> it. <laughs> Wait for Cammy to have a meltdown no, no. against somebody. No, well, it's not Warren Gatlin. It's only Wayne Pivak, and I'm not quite wound up by the Welsh this time yet. No. This time, good job. I was just going to say, have you noticed that as well? Like, we're, we are all desperate to beat Wales, let's be honest. But there's almost part of me that it's just a little bit less desperate because it's not yeah. Gatland anymore. It's not the same. It, no. It's been it's been debased. <laughs> it's been debased against Wales because it's not getting up Gatland. Um, I'm going to be really torn if when the, when the, the Lions come to play uh, at Murrayfield. I'm gonna to have to dig out a Japan shirt. I should have bought one when I was there last year, like you know. Get this was a conversation just, last week. It's probably cheaper to buy one over here. Was that sorry? It's probably cheaper to buy a Japan shirt over here than it would be I, over there I, anyway. I, I can almost guarantee that would be the case. <laughs> I, I know someone so. got uh, so they got the shirt for Mr. Wadelaw's new team, and they got it imported over to Scotland from there, and it was a ridiculous amount of money they paid for this shirt. And I mean, it's not even that nice a shirt. Yeah. That's like I've got that brings back memories of, of searching for rare radiohead releases in the late nineties <laughs> in HMV with the Japanese labels because you'd get an extra B side on it that you knew hadn't been released or a live recording. Oh the uh, kids the kids listening to this now do not know the pain I know, Cam. I know they don't understand. Um I'm going to I mean it's it's probably the best opportunity we've had to beat Wales for a while given mm. our respective fortunes and given the fact it's a Pakistan it's against you know with with one man and his dog. Although knowing <laughs> the Welsh press there'll be at least one you know a, a crowd cheering on knowing the way the Welsh <laughs> press are with the tea rugby team. Um what what I mean how do you think this is going to go, Al? I mean, do you think I think it's going to be close? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to say it would be an absolute. We'll hose them, but I, it's Scotland. We won't hose them. I, I said, I think I said actually in our group chat, guys. You know, and I, I think I said they're there for the taking, and I'll be dis. I would be disappointed. I'd be actually disappointed. And not, not a, you know, we always come into Six Nations and go, well, this is our year. We're going to do it. Finally, we're going to live up to expectations, but. If we can't go down and beat this Welsh side, then I think we are not where we think we are. We've not made the strides since 
the World Cup that we think we may have made. Um, so this is a really, really big, important game for Scotland going into this one because too often we've gone down there with the hope and I think it's always been a bit hollow. But when you look at the solidity, you mentioned earlier on, Camira, that pragmatism that's been brought in since the World Cup. They've changed the defensive setup. They've changed the set-piece setup by bringing in De Villiers that's come in. You know, they've done a really good job. You look at what they're doing around, you know, in the tight. Um, there's a there's a feeling of uh, robustness around this Scotland side and solidity that I don't think has been there. There isn't necessarily the same reliance on Hogg or on a Russell, which I think, weirdly, will actually see them play a bigger role because the whole weight is not on their shoulders to do something magical. I think there's enough solidity. I think, to be honest with you, our forwards, if they do their job, we'll win the game. I think if we beat them up front, beat them in the set piece, um, and we can pin them back, I I struggle. I don't, I'm not, I, I have no, very little fear of the Welsh backs. I don't think they're that amazing. I think they're, they're decent that we should have enough to be able to sort of contain them. And I think we should be, this is as good an opportunity as we've had probably in about 10, 15 years to go down there and get a result. And I think we need to grab it, kick on. We've got then the Autumn Internationals and then straight into the Six Nations. This is a big run of games for Scotland. Yeah. Good. Right. We're going to move on now. We've got a wee jingle coming up. Here we go. Well, we're looking Yes, it's Where's Doogie Donnelly. It's the section of the podcast where we ask you to get in touch and tell us who uh, you've seen out and about that may be loosely connected with the world of Scottish rugby. Uh, we've had one this week. I think we had two, but I can't, I'm, I'm unable to locate the other one uh, for the moment. But this is Ross Elliott got in touch by email. So if you get in touch with us by email, you can drop me one at podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Now, I need I need your help with this, guys, because potentially... We've had a Where's Doogie Donnelly that has breached current COVID guidance. Do we oh. name and shame? <laughs> <laughs> or do we if just hint, a... <laughs> hint at who it is? If, if this is the one that I think it is, I think there's I think there's a fair... I think, I think coming from me, I think it, you need to actually name and shame. I think it's only fair. <laughs> okay. Now, the current advice is that you don't travel outside your health board area if you live in Glasgow. That's my understanding. Ryan Wilson was spotted at St. Abs, which is, it's not near Glasgow, um, <laughs> um, down, down by the harbour, which is a lovely harbour. It's also uh, doubles as New Asgard and anyone that's seen Avengers Endgame. So if you want to go there, they've got they've got that now. St. Abs twinned with St. With new Asgard as you as you drive in at St. Abs. There's a lovely chip shop at one of the campsites just as you drive in, does does batter to Lumi. Beautiful. But anyway, yeah, so Ryan yeah. Ryan Wilson was seen at St. Abs. Become a travel blog? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ross did suggest that he, he was there to sign for uh sign for Berwick. <laughs> which I think would be a further breach of COVID guidance if he's crossed the border as well. That's true, yeah. Unless he's done it yeah. to watch the guy unless he's done it to watch the football on a pub. <laughs> it's not Blackpool, mate. It's not Blackpool. <laughs> now, now I don't know where to fit this in because I so I've got a spectacular crap call off for tonight. Spectacular crap. Call Let's off. do it now. It's fit in now. Go on. So, so 
friend of the pods, long time listener, long time um, viewer and and Patreon, I believe, uh, Alan McDonald, who has also been on uh, been on a, a show with us, played uh, Boulder Dash with us. Um, Alan has called off tonight. He was not. He's not going to view tonight because, and I quote, Tuesday night is the night he spends kidding on he's an elf on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, he then caveated this by saying he was, he's playing Dungeons and Dragons online tonight. But yes, he told me that he is an elf tonight. You could have encouraged them to do a mashup with the the, the podcast. Well, I think we, we, you joke. You joke, but me and Alan have long talked about the prospect of doing. I think we're going to probably at some point we'll do a Patreon on the uh, Dungeons and Drag rugby themed Dungeons and Dragon episode for the Patreon. <laughs> I'm not doing. It as, I'm not going to do it as an actual um, real live episode like with Banderscotch, which someone described as a real low point for the podcast. <laughs> that, that was one of my favourite ever. I love that. Yeah, I really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. We, I really enjoyed doing that. Yeah, I should. I should say that I. I said to Alan that. Every word he had just said are my favourite words in the world right now, but uh, I am going to have to call you out as a crap call-off. So. Well, let's not kink Sorry, shame Al. here either. If he wants to go and be an elf, then that's, that's down to <laughs> you know. No, no judge, no judge. <laughs> right, uh, we'll move on to the last section of the podcast. Yes, it's hands in the ruck, the any other business section of the podcast. We've had a couple in. I'm going to I'm going to start with this from Matthew Riley on Twitter, um, because we, we probably could have fitted this in elsewhere in the podcast. But it's the uh, the barbarian in the room, the barber in the room. <laughs> Matthew or says in the room as the case would have. Been. Yeah, he said the barbar twelves apologists. No, they're not just going for a beer like anyone else could. They had undertaken to remain in a protective bubble to ensure that their sport could continue. That just cost like the RFU one million pounds in revenue, even though there's no crowd because the game had to be called off. For those that don't know, I've been under a rock. Uh, Sean Maitland, Tim Swinson, and twelve other barbarian players, including Chris Robshaw and all the Saracens players who were in the squad, went out on the lash for two nights. I thought it was only one. Apparently it's two nights. One night they went for an Italian, another night they went for a pint. Despite the fact they were supposed to be holed up in a London hotel in a COVID-secure bubble so they could play England last weekend. So they breached the COVID-secure bubble. There, were, there was an interview with Tim Swinson on Rugby Pass where he was talking about the fact they had, they'd been given a room filled with beer and games for them to play. Yep. So I don't understand, you know, at what point someone went, do you know what, lads, this isn't good enough, plus the 5K match fee I'm getting... Let's go I, on the I lash. Hadn't, I hadn't actually appreciated, obviously, I hadn't even thought about the fact that how much money this had cost, you know, an already struggling RFU. So, I mean, really, I can just say, you know, uh, Agent Maitland and Agent Swinson, come <laughs> in, your job is done. <laughs> um, so, you know, you have to play the long game. Now, I mean, look, it's it's boneheaded <laughs> in the serious note. I mean, it's completely boneheaded. I mean, yeah. Uh, mind, if I was stuck in a room with James Haskell and I had to play Connect Four, I'm pretty sure I would be making a bowl for freedom as well. <laughs> I don't think he was there. I was not. I was, no. yeah, I was, was Robshaw, did you Rob, say? Chris Robshaw, so that's something. But he went out with them. They were probably trying to ditch him. That's the only yeah, thing I can think. Yeah. He's that mate that you tell you, uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely all staying in tonight, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not staying in. Um, 
but, but he obviously, you know, it's like Neville Longbottom and Harry Potter. He obviously spied them coming out of the out the common room and decided to tag along. Yeah, Which it's got, it's a, got many trouble. The other bad thing for this as well is you know you look at the players that all did it are all well played, high highly paid professional rugby players. There were others in the squad who obviously didn't go out, and these are all the Pacific Island lads. Now this is a real opportunity for them to go in and, and play on a big stage and put in a performance, looking at getting different contracts, making a bit of money, and it's not just the RFU you've been let down; it's the other the other players within within the squad, including Vern. I mean, God, how could you dis- can you imagine the face on Vern Cotter, who is head coach for the Barbarians, when those guys wandered back in from the Italian? That must have been quite spectacular. Uh, yeah, that just. Um... That's uh, you think Maitland and Swinson having played under Carter would have known better, known better than to have danced with fire. <laughs> Unless way, France, right? maybe France has made him soft. I maybe, maybe he's gone vegetarian. That. It's because he's gone. He's gone to Fiji now, right? He has. He's yeah, lounged yeah, yeah. about on the beach. He's, 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 he's now. There. It's no longer rabbits. It's like pure coconuts. He just. <laughs> snaps the coconut in half what one interesting thing is is how this the, the sean maitland thing's been handled compared to finn russell last, earlier this year because <laughs> the, the way it's talked i mean ratu has been brought in the squad and it said winger sean maitland will not return to the squad this week and is therefore unavailable for selection and then the quote town at the end of the press release that's on the sru website says Gregor Townsend said, we are working hard to ensure our training camp remains secure in terms of COVID protocols. And as such, Sean's actions last weekend with the Barbarians mean he won't be able to rejoin our group now and we will review the situation in the coming weeks. Now, you could read that two ways. Either, look, he's done a bad thing and he really ought, he's been a bit of a naughty boy and so he's got to go away and think about what he's done. Or alternatively, he's breached the bubble, so we've got to wait to make sure that he's, he's okay to come back in our bubble yeah, again. Yeah. I mean, he's, it's not... They've not damned him or criticised him in any way. But I also I was kind of thinking, to be fair though, a lot of the Finn Russell situation was was caused by the kind of briefing that went on behind the scenes from both camps mm-hmm. that kind of escalated it. So maybe this is yeah. just, to give them that credit, this is the SRU diffusing a situation and trying not to make a story out of it. Take the heat out of it, right? Yeah. Why, why, why create a sushi? Why, and why create focus? You're coming into the biggest game that we've had for a while. Again, every game's the biggest game we've had for a while, but it's a big game coming up. Why would you want to end up focusing on, you know, one idiot in a position that actually, to be honest, he was probably going to be on the bench at best anyway, right? Yes. So yeah. he's not your star player. He's not your your talisman. It's interesting that the Saris boys always decided to go out uh, on the lash, though, um, you know, given that that was probably the last opportunity they would have to play a competitive game before the Lions tour. Yeah, because oh, yeah, the championship doesn't sound like it's going yeah. to return either. Yeah. Or, or, or even if it does, I mean, it's not exactly going to be like competitive for them, is it, really? No. Um, John, do you want to do your hands in the ruck while I search for the other one I've got on here? <laughs> I'm not sure I do, Cammy. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, John, because I've, uh, I've yeah. you probably you know I've, I've mellowed from earlier on, but it's still still got a slight bee in my bonnet about this. So, um, in our uh, the new normal of COVID's uh, madness and finances being absolutely battered, all ends up from everywhere. Uh, the SRU have taken a bit of a pasting uh, from. The, the everyman fan for their their nevis, uh, you know the Richie the Richie Gray as we called it membership, um, and you know obviously asking for supports to put their hands in their pockets, uh, despite 
supporters getting their you know season ticket passes back. Now, what I'm 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 okay with this. What I'm not okay with is the club games continued paranoia regarding the SRU's intentions and a certain elements of entitlement that come from certain parts of the club game where they have a belief that because they are certain people are members of their clubs, they therefore should be handed Navis memberships or handed this or handed that and given priority access to the no tickets that are going to be available. Um, it again just strikes me as people are not reading the tone of the room and they are not understanding that rugby is in a huge crisis just now. Financially, everything is very precarious and the SRU would not be asking supporters to put their hand in their pocket for a made-up nonsense membership that will entitle them to nothing in the end up. You get your name on the tunnel. You get your name in the tunnel, John. (laughs) And a a newsletter. that is an opportunity for comedy that should not be looked past. <laughs> and a true. PDF, you get a PDF match program. Fantastic! Now I will have to upgrade my PDF uh, reader to allow me to view that. But uh, if I was entitled like some, I would ask the SRU to pay for that PDF upgrade. <laughs> um, no, it's it just again it strikes me as people people need to be a bit more pragmatic about the situation we find ourselves in the the idea of asking for freebies or asking for a preferential treatment in this world is bonkers and it's um it doesn't sit well with me yeah i think that the the one thing i would say to count slightly counter it is i think it's a shame that the siu didn't allow clubs to sell Nervous memberships yeah, for, yeah, for yeah, a percentage, yeah, get, get, just get for, for no other for no other reason than getting a bit of a percentage. Yeah. That that's the only reason I think it would have been worth to do it. Even if it was you know if it's you get five quid for every nervous membership you sell back to the club. I think that's Fantastic, fine. I, yeah. I, I agree with you though, and I think as well that you know there was um, Nick Johnson who we've had on the podcast before. She's she's got a dad's debentures. And I and I can kind of understand from from the point of view of a debent, a debentures holder that that you have paid money up front not for tickets just for access to tickets yeah. to first refusal and you gave a lot of money to fund you know to to to, to pay build Murrayfield effectively at one point the yeah. debenture holder so I do take their point that they you know they have financially put up their own money. And they, there's not, so they're not being given any more, any earlier access to Lions yeah, tickets, for example, yeah. than anybody else. So I, I, I think there, are, I, I, I think you're absolutely right, John. There is an entitlement there that that's frustrating. I think there are things around the edges that that probably could have been done better, yeah. but I think overall the the money raising. And I think the the other thing, I think one, couple of the comments. Every time it comes around to, oh, they're trying to create the Scottish Rugby Corporation, and it's just, it's not possible. Because the clubs own the SRU. I mean, what mm-hmm. by creating the corporation, it's it's the, the, the kind of you know it's the private company arm of 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 the SRU. It's still part of the SRU. Mm-hmm. The president still sits on the P, uh, Scottish Rugby PLC and makes decisions. The president is still elected by the clubs. So yes, these things are set up, and yes, you know everyone gets as soon as the word PLC or the letters PLC come up or corporation, people panic and think all of a sudden they're going to steal rugby away in the night and you know <laughs> sell it to private equity they they can't do it 
you know, you read the constitution, they have to to, to disband, you know, to, to do that, they have to disband the, the Scottish Rugby Union, they have to dispose of all assets, including Murrayfield. So you'd be starting from a base level of nothing and not even having a ground to play at. I mean, I think the, the, the bit that really sticks out for me in this, and I was thinking about it after seeing, you know, reading some stuff today about this, and, and I was, um, I, yeah, and um, we're complaining here, you've got people who, and I get, I get the point to a degree, but you only have to look at what other sports are doing to keep their sports afloat and to keep their clubs afloat, for example. And I'll draw a direct comparison and look at Scottish football, for example, right? And I know there's not a football podcast, but most clubs, when the season was mothballed, offered their 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 um, fans the opportunity to get their season ticket holders to get the refund on the or the unspent part of the season ticket. And for the vast majority of clubs, the vast majority of fun, fans did not take that up. Not only that, fans have poured millions of pounds back into those clubs by buying season tickets for a season that they knew fine well they were very unlikely to get in. And we have fans in rugby and we, you know, rugby fans make a play or some rugby fans make a play about how rugby has, the, you know, this great ethos and is better than football in some way. And their fans are better than football fans in some ways. And we've all heard rugby, certain rugby fans and a certain type of rugby fan trot this out. But you look at football, and you and I'm not talking Rangers and Celtic here. You look at smaller clubs and what the fans have poured in from Premier League sides down to second division sides, and probably lower that Highland League, Lowland League. Those clubs have people have put in money and put in four or five hundred pounds in some of those cases for something they will never see, purely because they love their club, they love their sport, and they want to see it stay afloat. Yeah. And it sticks in the craw of them, and you've got people going, "Why am I not getting something for free?" Yeah, and I think there is you have to take the context that we're in and we should compare ourselves sometimes to other sports and realise yeah. that you know we could be doing more actually as a, as a group of fans it, it works both ways yeah and, you, and I think you know and I think there is it is probably going to be telling when we get out the other end of this the clubs that have a community around them and I've done the you know the hard work up front to build a community and to ingrain themselves within that community will survive this because they will have people who will want to to, to see them through and want to support them through that. I think you look at, I mean, I, I can give the example of Berwick, you know, they've, they raised 20 grand because they got local farmers to give them, a, you know, a, a bucket of grain. Mm-hmm. So they took a truck around, bucket oh, of grain, raised 20 yeah. grand. So that's them covered for this, that's them covered for this year in terms of the losses. But that's only because they put the hard work up front working, you know, that those farmers wanted to do that because they're so mm-hmm. closely associated with the club. And there'll be other clubs who've built those community links who are able to go out and say, Look, you know we're in need of help, and and the community will gather around. There'll be other clubs who haven't done that, who've just, you know, paid players to come and play for them in the past, haven't got no youth set up, and all of a sudden they haven't closed the doors because they can't open the bar on a Saturday night, but they've got nothing else to kind of sell them to to people on. So, yeah, it's I think you're right, John. People expecting something for free in a time like this is is disappointing. I think you know the the nevis the you know the 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 option of going in for for early tickets. I think you know is, I can see why they offered it, but I think any realist is going to realise it's not really. I was never on the cards. We 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 are not we are not um, in a position where we are at all, or even head on to be experts in any of this stuff, and yet we were sitting here saying months ago. 
it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I get that people were holding on to hope and really thinking, oh, you know, it'd be great to get back into the stadiums. And we had the test events um, and things like that. But the reality was always, you know, the reality of the situation was always against us here. And, you know, it, yeah, just a bit of pragmatism, please. Is that, you feel <laughs> better for that? Comments. You feel better for that, John? Uh, yeah, you, do you know what? I feel a wee bit, a wee bit soothed. Um, it was, I think it was a much more eloquent version. I thought there of my, my, um, my hands in the rock than perhaps I had shared earlier on today. <laughs> Alan, I need to get details of who uh, Beric sold the grain to. Uh, so, uh, what's your hands in the rock while I, while I desperately look that up? So I want to make sure I give it. I want to make sure I, I get get the get the grain company right. Well, I've been quite sanguine this last couple of weeks um, on a rugby front. I've been struggling today, but actually John's kind of touched on it there. Um, So you've you've segued nicely, John, for me. Um, Oh, there you go. So it's almost (laughs) as if we planned this, and actually we haven't planned it, in fairness, which may come as a surprise to our listeners and viewers. Um, I saw today so that uh, the Scottish government are going to, are planning to have meetings with our football colleagues uh, to get fans back in. So we've run test events. Uh, and actually what was really good is, you know, previously the SRU were front and centre of some of the, the push to get some fans back into stadiums. Uh, and they did, the, you know, a very successful test event, obviously back, you know, a couple of months ago. I really hope the Scottish rugby is at that meeting or is having similar conversations because, you know, I think we all understand the concerns that are going on in particular in certain parts of the country in Scotland, you know, with COVID. And I think we're all sensitive to those, but I think most fans would probably understand that these are open air stadiums. There is a way of doing this safely. We have proven this. I don't think any fans expecting 60,000 back in Murrayfield next week, but is there any reason why you couldn't have a thousand, two thousand and push those numbers up? Um, you know, Murrayfield, for example, city centre, you could limit to who you sell tickets to, to people within the immediate postcode area and still get 2,000 people in there easily. So you have people walk ups, you're not having, you can, you've got space to be doing parking. You've got, you don't need to be flooding people onto public transport. I do think there's a, a a requirement for us to try and do stuff to get money into the and, and again you know for rugby that is money coming into the game that's money that's not there today coming back into the game right that is needed right so i hope and i'm sure they are because they said you'd be in front and center this but i'd like to see more about us pushing to try and get some more of these test events back in i think it's really important going forward um because we're going to be living with this and if we're going to be you know in this situation through till you know easter and beyond we have to have some supporters in the stadium. I think yeah. the game is otherwise going to really, really suffer. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a really important link, you know, for mental health and all these things that we've been discussed in multiple other forums. And I, I, I think there is a softening at government. I think they're more open to the conversations. They just have to hope because I think there is a way of doing it. If you can go to a cinema or if you can, you know, insert many parts of Scotland still go to semi, you can still go out for a meal in an enclosed space in many parts of the country. Um, I see no reason why you can't go and sit two metres apart from the next person to you in an outdoor stadium that you're walking to. Yeah, and I think I think Murrayfield particularly lends itself to that because of the the way it's laid out, because of the fact you've got it within the compound. So the turnstiles aren't to get into the stadium, it's to get into the area within the stadium. It's a big stadium. You could easily get people in there socially distanced. Yeah. 
that would probably mean that you might have to have Glasgow home games there, John, which I don't... I know it wouldn't go down well with Glasgow fans, but I'm not necessarily sure that Scotstons got the same setup. I mean, we talked about traffic problems. We spent half an hour talking about planning and traffic problems in yeah. Scotston before, but yeah. it, Murrayfield, unfortunately, probably lends itself more to that. Yeah, I mean, the only concern would be then you're potentially starting to... Yeah, you're, you're probably then saying you have to drive over and you have to, you know... There's there's arguments, uh, you know, it's all kind of weighing up the balance, isn't it? But I think someone done a kind of a rough, you know, back of the back of the flag packet analysis of how many people you could fit into Scotston in a two meter, you know, circle and stuff like that. And it was it was stupid numbers, you know. You 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 get more people in the gym on a busy evening uh, <laughs> or next door than you would in the stands, so. Um yeah, it's it's not ideal. And I think again that's it you know, Glasgow fans have been very vocal that we want to be playing games at Scotston because that's where that's our home. But if there was the opportunity to see Glasgow playing, um I'm sure people would maybe accept that. Some some might not, some might be grumpy and those people might well be on a podcast to voice those opinions at some point but you know i think for the most part everybody's going to have to be a bit more flexible regarding that i think the the issue comes when the that choice gets made from a let's say a, a wider commercial decision to support a, a, an all-day event uh, that goes against the sporting integrity of the pro 14 um if it's done for covid reasons i'm sure people will be more sympathetic to it yeah. Um as McCreeth uh Simpson Prentice, so is Simpson's Malt, um Martin Bell, who asked that question a while ago, who do who um have helped collect have, they've, they've they're selling the grain on Berwick's behalf and they've donated hundred and fifteen tonne themselves towards that. And they're also the shirt sponsor for Berwick as well. So we're not getting any kickback from Simpson's Malt for this boy. There's no free grain. <laughs> they they are not our upcoming partner. Partner, no. <laughs> Let it me is. talk to you about wheat. Yeah. Where, do, where do you get your green supply? Yeah. Um, we had one. We we did have one on uh, Facebook on our super secret Patreon page uh, that you can get membership to if you sign up to the Patreon, which was um, Martin Bell. He said Richard Cockrell's inexplicable reluctance to give Nathan Neville Chamberlain game time for Embra when the club only has one other ten who may be absent for the national team. I mean, that's crazy. We've we've talked about this a couple of times now. Um, We even mentioned it last week about maybe trying to give him a run at 15 to just get him some game time. I just don't understand it. Cockrell is playing with fire. Maybe he sees Kinghorn as a 10. I mean, there was a suggestion. I mean, I think it's the offside line David Barnes was writing that actually this is a real test for Richard Cockrell on that because he's really under pressure in terms of the players he's got available. Mm. He's having to give the youngsters game time. And before he's been able to say, oh, well, they're just not good enough. I mean, they, they've got to be good enough because they need to step up now. So this is a, yeah. this is where he earns his cash, Al. Yeah, no, I mean, it is. I mean, he's he's getting paid to go out and get results with the players that he has at his disposal. And if that's not his A team, but then, you know, a lot of other teams, you know, the, the rest of the Pro 14 pretty much are fighting without their, their A teams either, right? So, you know, everyone's got international call-offs. You know, you, you, you've got to make a, a, a purse out of a, you know, a pig's ear, right? Or sow's ear, whatever the phrase is. 
the people will know better than I do, obviously. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I do. I think it's it's a real challenge for him. I mean, he's he's done a great job so far at Edinburgh, and he's been sort of lauded for all the work that he's done. But yeah, to, it's a real to... benefit there as well, though, because he's got he's got Henry Pargos available. You drop Henry Pargos in beside a rookie ten. Mm. and let Pargos just coach him through. Pargos is a great game manager. He's got all the experience in the world. Let, let him coach this young lad through the game. When, when are you going to give him exposure, if not now? Are you, you know, Are we going to do the same? What was the, the rugby league lad that w- was signed as the next great Scottish 10 and oh, then just yeah. didn't get game time at, at, at Edinburgh and you know, went off back to rugby league because he preferred to play rugby league. Nobody's ever said they prefer to play rugby league. That's no, but I mean the interesting thing the interesting thing with him is you, there was an interview came out with Alan Tate afterwards where he said he just was yeah, he was yeah, treated yeah. abysmally during his time. Yes, he was stuck in a flat right. and left to it. And he's gone you know, he's he's playing pretty well for these rhinos right now, that lad. So he looked, yeah. he looked for all all intent he had all the raw materials. Yeah, okay. He, you know, guys are coming from a different code, but the ball's still the same shape and you know, there's there's plenty of transferable skills, as we've seen with many converts. Um, and he looked like he had the, the goods to be a decent player, but again, just didn't get a shot. Yeah. Um, my hands in the ruck is the commentator for Scotland, Georgia, who is Simon <laughs> Ward. Now, I got excited because someone told me that he was Michael McIntyre's father-in-law, which would have made a lot of sense, but it wasn't. Just, it's an actor with the same name who's now dead. Um, so I, it was the, I think probably the worst commentary I've ever heard of a game of rugby. It sounded like a man, a man who liked real ale telling you about his homebrew and then giving you directions of how to get to the supermarket. He just never stopped talking the whole game and some of the stuff, I couldn't even tell you what he was talking about half the time. Do you know I I I watched that entire game, and it, it I must have blanked out completely. I hadn't even thought about it until you mentioned it there, Cammy, which I think goes to tell you everything because it must have added absolutely zero value to the watching experience. I mean, yeah, I thought, I, th- I thought there was an opportunity for us to maybe broaden our international appeal and get the American commentators in. <sighs> They were fantastic. How, That's still that video is still up. That, that video of that that game in in Houston or wherever in, it was Houston, is still. Yeah, oh. he's gone for the end zone. That's what we need. <laughs> <laughs> and and Simon, here. <laughs> Simon Ward kind of talking about. I don't know where he parked his car. I think at one point, it just, honestly, it was just like. You're expecting you to start giving you directions. You want to go to the end of the road and then you'll see a tree and you'll think to myself, that's a funny looking tree and you want to turn light now. Now, I had a picnic in the field over the back of that tree in 1979. Honestly, it was stuff like that. And I was just like, he'd obviously done his research and just wanted to get it all out during the game. But it was really dull. It so, was on ITV4 though, so we've got to we've got to capitalise anyone was watching, Cam. I know well, we're available. Look, we're available. ITV4, oh, hello. Oh, how good would that be? Oh, I, yeah, sort of the, they do this, it's like this sort of thing they do on Sky, right? You know, where they get sort of fans, the fans doing the commentary. They should get us doing the commentary for Scotland games. Uh, some of the stuff I was I was texting during uh, one of the group chats, one of the group chats I was texting, probably not suitable for commentary, so... <laughs> yes, that would be a surefire way to ensure that yes. our, uh... you'd have to make all Scotland games post watershed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
and um, we would be we'd be Zuckerberg before we knew it. Yeah. <laughs> Again. Again. <laughs> never found out what happened there. Who knows? Yeah, I know. Dean's fault. Anyway, that's it for this week. We will be back next week with a, a some sort of post-match analysis of the uh, of the Wales game. Hopefully for good. Daft Craig has jumped in on Twitch today. The commentator was hired solely on his ability to pronounce the Georgian names. <laughs> to be honest, Daft Craig, I'm not even sure that he could do that either. Scott Hastings did defer to him at one point and said, <laughs> yes, so some of those um, Georgian players, um, such as, and then the, the boy jumped in and it was like, oh, that's Hastings. Hastings was bad as well, though, to be fair. He was, uh, he was well, I mean, he's working, but the thing is, you think about it, I know, but I think he would, he, he was working with that, though. You, you're working with a man. Well, true. You know, true, as dull as that, and you've got to, who's and the questions he was asking him were rubbish. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like, how do you think the game's like going, watch. Scott? Or he asked him <laughs> he at was, one point. He said, "He's your nephew, Adam Hastings. He's your nephew." You know, and, and just start, you know, how do you think he's come on? And I was like, oh, "This is just what you an asinine, horrible question it's to like ask a, his uncle." Awful thing. Like, he's actually playing terrible tonight. He's I know. Awful. <laughs> and I, I didn't like him. I'm taking the Andy Farrell approach to to, to family. <laughs> it's it's like the commentary version of being a ten and being stuck out a nine who's having an absolute rot. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. I think that's exactly what happened. So we were halfway through a goodbye anyway. <laughs> you can catch us next week on the podcast. Keep an eye on the blog, scottshrugbyblog.co.uk uh, for match reports and player ratings and the like. But for now, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from John and Al. Goodbye. Bye, all.